Well, I want to share something to get us going into today's message, and it's this. It's James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The series we're in right now, we're talking through of victory. How do we can defeat the Antichrist spirit? Last week we talked, like I mentioned, we talked about who the Antichrist will look like. Remember, we didn't name names. So if any of you named a name of the Antichrist this past week, you're probably wrong. But um, ultimately, we, we've gotten onto the idea with standing on the word of God. We need to know God's word. That Jesus, when he got done fasting for those 40 days, Satan tried to deceive him. What did he do? He spoke the word of God right back at them. So that was number one. The, the second thing is we need to be a church that serves. We need to be a church that cares about others. And specifically, we are told that if we want to have a real religion, we want to have a real belief, we need to take care of the widows and orphans. And one of the things that we've, uh, that I feel like God has really put on Annie and I's heart for this season of our own personal lives and for the church is foster care. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And I want to be a church that comes alongside individuals that are doing foster care to, to hold up their arms, to help them, to help them know who Jesus is to interact, to help them when they feel weak from doing everything they can and they feel like they have no support, to be able to say, no, the Shores Church is here to support you. This morning I get to invite a friend up to, to share uh, that we have um, Adam uh, Bell and his whole family here and his wife Kara, that Adam is going to come and he's going to share. He was on staff with Freedom Christian uh, under Aaron Halavin, and they felt a call to step into U.S. chaplaincy, into a new position that uh, became on the scene, and it's working with foster care and adoptive care within America. He's right here in our uh, metro Detroit area, and so the work that he's doing is directly impacting our community, and so I'm looking forward to continuing to partner with you to, to impact our community for Jesus Christ. So would you welcome Adam as he comes and shares this morning. Well, good morning, Shores Church. It's so good to be with you all today. I want you to know, as somebody who's lived in this area for about 10 years, um, your church just has an incredible reputation. You know, the Shores is a, a place of legend to so many people that I've come across and that I've met over the years. And uh, I, it's just an honor to be with you today. It's an honor to get to share. Uh, I think this is my second or maybe third time in the building, third. And uh, Man, you, you guys have done great things in the building. You do great things in the community, and it's just such an honor to be here. Uh, as Pastor Scott said, my name is Adam. Kara and I are foster and adoptive care missionary chaplains, and we're also foster and adoptive parents. So on the screen behind me, you can see our family there. Two of my kiddos are biological, two are adopted. I'll let you guess which are which. Um, but we, um, this is a journey that we've, we've been on for a little while. It's, it's just a, a short while. But it's one that we believe that God is going to use to make an incredible impact in our communities. And, and before we get started, I just want to take a minute to say how incredible your pastors are. Uh, I've, I've known Pastor Scott for just a few months now, Annie even a little bit less. Um, but they're just incredible people. They love this community. They love this church. And they love all of you so very much. And, and you know, even beyond the ministry that they do here in St. Clair Shores, even beyond the ministry that they do in these church walls, Pastor Scott is an incredible blessing to our section in the Assemblies of God. He's an incredible blessing to our network in the Assemblies of God. And it's such a blessing 
to the Assemblies of God in this state as a whole that you all allow him to be in leadership positions. And he's such a, an, an important voice in those conversations and such a valuable resource in those. So just love your pastors. They're, they're heroes of mine. And, you know, they're living an example that models incredible things for you to the point that some of the things I'll say today will probably be preaching to the choir, right? You guys already understand this at a pretty high level. But I'm, I'm going to share just a little bit about that anyway. Um, so now, if you're like I was, even just a couple of years ago, you may not have even heard of a foster and adoptive care missionary chaplain. It's, it's not a, a thing that I had ever heard about. It's not anything that I knew about. So don't worry if, if you're like me. It was a surprise to me, too. Um, I, like Pastor Scott mentioned, I've been a pastor for about a decade, a little more, and most recently we spent eight years at Freedom Christian, and there I was a campus and development pastor, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that I was a campus pastor with a bunch of other responsibilities, right? And one of those responsibilities was overseeing several of our church's outreach ministries, and that included foster care, that included homelessness, that included human trafficking, and it was as a part of one of those responsibilities, I was talking to a missionary that founded an anti-human trafficking organization, and we were just talking about ministry that our church could do with him, things that we could do, boots on the ground here in Metro Detroit to make an impact in that way. And I explained that we were foster parents, and we talked about the connection between human trafficking and foster care, which I'll touch on more later. Um, and he stops me in my tracks. We're having a Zoom meeting, right? He puts his hand up, and he said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that the Assemblies of God is making an incredible impact in foster care, and they're doing a lot of it through missions and through chaplaincy. I, I just feel like I was supposed to tell you that. And when somebody has those moments, sometimes people will tell you, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that, and you're like, no, I don't think that's for me. That's for somebody else. But this was one of those moments where I arrived, and I was like, wow, this is a significant moment. God, God planted this here. He, he brought me to this point to experience this significant moment that I had no idea that I was going to. And it was so impactful to me that I went home, I talked to Kara, and I told her, hey, you know, I was talking to this guy, he said this thing, that doesn't necessarily mean anything for right now, but I think someday that might be what God has for us. And fast forward a little bit, there have been confirmations along the way, and, and transitions like the one you had this morning. I was on staff at a church, we were, we were there for eight years, and that meant leaving something that I loved to pursue something that God called me to do. So I just want to encourage you. God can be in those transitions. And I, I believe, I know Pastor Parker, I know his heart. I believe that God is in this transition for him. But that meant me leaving a church that I loved. It meant me leaving people that I loved. The, really, the only church that my kids had known as a home church in their lives but can I tell you, it's something that we just know that God wants us to do. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 25. And it's going to be on the screen as well, but we're going to be in verse 34. I always love to hear paper Bibles. That makes me excited. I love technology, but man, there's just something to be said about a book too, right? Like there's something to be said about paper and the leather and everything. So uh, I'm going to just go ahead and get started. Like I said, verse 34, we'll read through 40. We're going to come back in a minute. But it says, so this is Jesus talking. He said, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. 
I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And here's the important part. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Wow. So that's heavy, right? I know that's a verse that most of you who've been believers for a while have probably heard before. You're living that out in your life. But I just want to talk a little bit about that and starting by talking about the context of those verses. So the text we just read is part of a teaching that Jesus gave to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And before he shared about caring for the least of these, he shared about some really major issues. He talked about things like suffering and persecution that would come their way. He talked about false teachers, he talked about end times, and he talked about being ready for a second coming. So kind of, you know, really heavy-hitting topics. And then he put the exclamation point on talking about caring for the least of these. And now, interestingly, Jesus gave these teachings on the Wednesday of the week that he died. So that means this happened a day before the betrayal. It happened two days before the crucifixion. And I think that's important to note because if you look at Jesus' life and ministry— Everything that he did was very intentional, right? Everything that Jesus did, no matter what outside pressures he experienced, no matter what other factors were there, Jesus did things intentionally, and he did things in the way that he knew would make the impact that he was hoping to make. And so I believe that he said this at precisely the time that he did for a specific reason. And, and if, you, if you think about it, Jesus' time on earth was short. He knew that. And I think that he said these things, and he's talking about caring for the disadvantaged as kind of a, a, an exclamation point, like I said, on his earthly teachings. I think he did it because it was a parting thought that he wanted to leave with the believers of that time, and he wanted to leave with all of us beyond that point who would read those words and, and would experience that. And, and I think they were just so heavy on his heart that he couldn't help but just share this one more time to make sure that we really, really got it. And as Jesus said, he literally takes everyone who is serving the least of these, and he puts them in one group, and then he takes, we'll read later, he takes everyone who's not doing that, and he puts them in another group. So it's literally separating them, and the ones that cared for the least of these are, are being judged positively. He's, he's talking about blessings that they'll experience and things like that, and, and Jesus says that whatever they did for those in need, they've actually done for him. When they've fed, given water, given clothes, provided shelter, visited, or, or basically just met basic needs for the people that needed them, they were serving him. And, and, and my interpretation of that is that it's so near and dear to Jesus' heart that we care for the vulnerable and the poor, that when we do it for them, we're actually doing it for him, right? Like, that's the way that I read that. That's the way that I interpret that. And that shouldn't surprise us because we see throughout Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, several times when God tells us his heart for the broken and the poor and the weak and the oppressed. And, and I'm just going to read a few of those to you. I think they'll be up on the screen. One of my favorites is Psalm 82, 3 through 4, which says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. There's so much content in there, so much good, important stuff. Proverbs 31 through 8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Right? And then Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. 
And there are a ton more than that. In fact, in God's word, there are 44 times that he instructs his followers to care for orphans and widows alone. 44 times. And now that's a lot more than some really important, really significant things. So I think there, there are a couple of things that that tells us. First, it tells us that these, these kids, these broken and, and poor and disadvantaged people are so close to God's heart. It tells us they're so close to his heart. And then it also tells us that he wants to involve us in the plan for caring for them. So now let's, let's take a look at what Jesus says about the people who do not care for the least of these. So starting in verse 41 and continuing through 45, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So not off to a good start. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Wow. Um, now, I'm not one of those people that, that frames the reason that we serve, the reason that we're generous, the reason that we give as being to get eternal rewards. But if you look at the contrast of these two groups, it's very clear to see which side of this we should be on, right? It's very clear to see which of these activities we should be doing. It's, it's obvious that we should be serving the least of these. So, so we know that. We know that the stakes are high, that it's very important. And, and we kind of have some idea of what that means. But I want to talk to you this morning about a specific group that makes up the least of these. And, and you know I'm a foster and adoptive care missionary, so I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about these children and families that are part of the child welfare system and, and that you know, are, are maybe teetering on the edge of involvement of that. Um, so Kara and I have been foster parents for about seven years. Our little guy who's sitting here in the second row or third row there, uh, he was our first placement, and he was a newborn then, so our, our time is kind of marked by his life. Uh, but it's been about seven years. Uh, we also adopted, like I mentioned, two of our children from foster care, and we started doing foster and adoptive care ministry out of our local church when I was on staff at Freedom Christian. And, and to be honest with you, us doing that, some of it was born out of the fact that we recognized as we became foster parents that we weren't doing enough, right? Like, as we experienced that ourselves, we recognized, like, wow, we got to do more. And uh, we had adoptive families in our church. We had foster families in our church. And we needed to do more to serve them. And we needed to do more to care for those, those vulnerable families. And in the process of that, um, we became leaders in serving vulnerable kids and families in our community. We, we became very closely connected with the Department of Health and Human Services. We've gotten you know, involved in some different groups that are making an impact in that way. And uh, you know, really, the, the interesting thing is those opportunities were very easy to find. I know that your church is engaged in a lot of that kind of ministry, and I bet Pastor Scott would echo that those opportunities are plentiful. There, there are a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, more recently, like, like I was saying, we stepped down from our, our pastoral position, and uh, we did that because we felt the Lord call us to engage, equip, and empower churches to make an impact in their own communities. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a little bit, but, but really it starts with raising awareness, kind of like we're doing today, just helping you to, to know more about the child welfare system, know more about the struggles that these children and families face, and what we can do as a body of believers to make an impact in that way. 
And what we do will look different with each church because each church is different. They have different talents and giftings and resources and passions. And so what we do with your church would look different from what we do with the church down the road because they, they just have a, a different purpose to fulfill in that way. Um, but some of you might be like I was before we started this journey of becoming foster parents, and you might not know anything about what that looks like. So I, if you're like me, I would say my frame of reference for the child welfare system was probably TVs and movies, you know, like really watching Annie and, uh, and, and seeing what, what being an orphan looked like in the media. And I can tell you, like, there are some things that are accurate about that, but there are also some things that are very inaccurate about that. And uh, that was a, a poor frame of reference for me. Um, so I, I just want to share a little bit about basic understanding of what the child welfare system is. So foster care is a part of the child welfare system where children are placed in safe homes when they can't remain with their biological families. I think that's the part we all kind of understand. Um, children enter foster care for many reasons, including, you know, abuse of various types, the loss of a parent due to maybe death, incarceration, or, or some other reason. But 76% of the time, so over three quarters of the time, children enter care due to what's called neglect. And neglect in the child welfare system is kind of a catch-all category. You know, it, it could inco incorporate a lot of things, but what, what we found is that in many cases, not all, but in many cases, neglect is not willful. Neglect is not intentional. It's, it's just a matter of parents not having resources. They don't have the tools that they need as a parent, or they don't have the physical tools that they need in order to be able to do what they need to do as a parent. And, um, you know, that's something that really just, uh, it shook me when I realized that so many cases are, are parents that just need help and just need support. And that's, that's one of the things that drove us to become foster parents. So the goal of foster care is to reunify those families by the, the, the government, the, the child welfare system, offering resources to those parents to help them get the tools they need. You know, whether, whether that's helping them to get anger management help or learn how to, you know, maybe help getting a job or, or working through issues that they've experienced in the past or, or even just learning how to secure resources that they need. Like, that's the purpose, is reunifying those families. And um, I, I, that happens about half of the time, just to be honest with you. So the goal is to reunify. That happens about 50% of the time. So that's not ultimately all that successful. Um, but these precious children that are a part of the child welfare system are certainly the least of these. And I, I want you to think about this. So they're children who, through no fault of their own, have been removed from their homes from their families, from their friends, oftentimes their schools, and everything that they know and love. You know, think, think about that happening to a child, and then they're placed with people who in most cases are complete strangers. Somebody that they don't know, somebody that they don't know if they should trust, somebody that they don't have any relationship with. And now listen, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old man, and if you were to take me and remove me from everything that I know and love, and put me with strangers, that would be the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me, right? As a 40-year-old as a man who has a developed sense of self and a developed sense of the world and, and just understands these things, now think about if that's happening to a child, right? Think about if that's happening to a five-year-old or a three-year-old. And, and you understand why this is such a traumatic experience, and that's without even considering the things that led to them being in the child welfare system in the first place. Um, and, and usually, this happens very suddenly and traumatically 
oftentimes in the middle of the night, and the kids usually don't have time to grab more than, of their belongings than what would fit in a single black trash bag. Usually that's, that's how it works. The, the CPS workers and, and the child welfare workers are helping them to get their things, and that's really all that they're able to grab. So now this, this is, a like I said, very traumatic thing, but it's also the story of more than 437,000 children that are in the child welfare system at any given time in our country. So think about that. Almost a half a million children have a story that's similar to this, right? And I'm about to throw some data at you, and I know that's going to feel a little overwhelming, but bear with me. I promise there's a reason for it. And so at any given time, there are more than 100,000 children in the foster care system who will not be reunified with their family and are waiting for adoption. So 100,000, you know, there, there are several thousand here in the state of Michigan, um, and every year 20,000 of those children who are hoping to be adopted, waiting to be adopted, will not be. They, they just won't find a compatible match or the circumstances just won't align and they will do what's called aging out of the foster care system. That, that generally happens when they're 18, sometimes a little younger, but these kids age out of foster care and all of the resources that they had access to as a foster child are discontinued immediately and they're left to figure out the world on their own. And so if you think about that, that's, that's kids, essentially, I was still a kid, you know, developmentally when I was 18 years old and they don't have a place to go for the holidays. They don't have a mom and dad to borrow gas money from or to get good parental advice. And, and maybe most importantly, they don't have a safety net to fall back on when they experience difficult things in life, right? And I don't know about you, but I regularly needed those things when I was 18, 19, 20, even into my, my early to mid-20s. I needed people to help me. I needed people to fall back on and, and to support me in that way. And many of these young adults instantly become homeless. About half of them develop a substance dependence problem. And a high percentage are actually convicted of crimes that they're, uh, in their lifetime as well. And this one is, is kind of a, a devastating one. Over half of the girls who age out of foster care will be pregnant by the time they're 19 years old. So over half. And then of those girls who are pregnant at, before 19, almost half of them will have two pregnancies by the age of 19. And my kids came along later than that. I don't think I would have been a play, in a place to be a good parent when I was 19 years old. I'm not saying that nobody can be, but oftentimes we're not in a position to parent the way we need to at that age. And uh, now those are all national statistics, but there are also 13,000 children in foster care in Michigan, and that's a number that's 10th highest in our country. Uh, so it's, it's a very, very significant problem here as well. And um, I already shared a few of the negative outcomes that these, these children experience, but I want to share some that all children who spend time in foster care experience. So 50% of individuals who are homeless in the United States spent time in foster care. So half of the individuals who are homeless spent time in foster care. And, and one of the biggest reasons, like I said, is because they don't have a safety net. They don't have a support structure in place when, when things are difficult. And, and we've done enough ministry with, with individuals that are homeless that I've heard a lot of people say to me, like, you have no idea. Most people have no idea how close you are teetering to homelessness. You know, like, really, it could be a matter of just a couple of paychecks, an injury, a, a sickness. Um, and, and, you know, really, a lot of our population could be homeless. 
Uh, 60% of victims that are rescued from sex trafficking spent time in the foster care system in the U.S. And I, I bet several of you have seen the movie Sound of Freedom. I, I've heard really great things. I haven't seen it yet. I need to. Um, but I'm thankful that that movie is creating awareness about trafficking. I'm thankful that that movie is, is increasing people's knowledge of that. But something that I like to point out is that preventing kids from being trafficked is just as important, if not maybe more important because of the long-term effects, as rescuing kids that are already trafficked. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to improve outcomes for children that are in foster care, right? And now, this last one is kind of shocking too. So 75% of individuals who are incarcerated in the United States spent time in the child welfare system. So 75%. In fact, the correlation between foster care and the criminal justice system is so strong that many prisons actually use foster care data to predict occupancy and staffing. And that, that doesn't seem like it should be that way, right? Like that's something that we need to fix. Uh, foster care also impacts a child's education. 75% of children in foster care are behind in, in uh, their development, behind their grade level, working below their grade level. And that's largely because they move so much. That 33% of children in care have moved five or more times just through their elementary years. And 80% of foster children will graduate high school compared to 96% of the general population. And then fewer than 3% get a college degree or go to secondary school of any kind. And now, we don't, we don't have time to talk about all the effects, but foster care also has a significant impact on mental health, with these children experiencing PTSD at about a 25% rate, which is on par with US combat veterans. So th think about that. These children are experiencing PTSD at the same rate that people who are fighting in wars. And, and really, when you put all that together, it's, it's just a really, really terrible thing. Uh, now, th these children, I, I want to talk about demographics a little bit. So 44% of children in foster care are white, 23% are African-American, 21% are Hispanic, and 12% are other ethnicities. So this tells us two things. First, this is a problem for all ethnicities. People that look like every one of us in this room experience foster care. But I also want to share that there's quite a bit of disproportion to that. So there are... In, in the United States, 14% of the population is African-American, but 23% of the child welfare system is African-American, which means that there's disproportion, and there's something that needs to change in that way. Similar with, with Hispanic, there are 18% of the population is Hispanic, 21% of those in foster care are Hispanic. And there's also geographic disproportion. So think about this. 50% of foster children come from only 5% of counties. 50% come from 5% of counties. Think about that. You know, if you were looking at a map, what would 5% of the United States look like? And the shocking thing is that Macomb County, where we are right now, is one of those 5% counties. Wayne County, Oakland, Genesee are as well. Um, really, there, there's just so much disproportion. There are so many difficult things. And, and I share that to say that it's happening right here. It's, it's something that's a problem and, and a, a struggle right here where we are. Um, and now, as I heard about those things, my heart literally broke. And the verse that Pastor Scott shared this morning is what kept rattling through my mind. You know, James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world, word, world corrupt you. And now, the word that's worship here, or religion here, is, is threskia, the Greek word. And it refers to the outward observance of worship. 
So what I'm picturing is I'm picturing James writing this after seeing orphans and widows not being cared for, and, and we're just going on our way to go worship, and that just didn't sit well with him, right? Like, this is Jesus' brother, and he sees orphans and widows not being cared for, knowing that that's something that Jesus cared a lot about. And so that didn't sit well with him, and, and he wrote about it. And the thing that happens, though, is what I just shared with you, like I said, it's, it's probably overwhelming, right? If you're like me, that's overwhelming. Like, what am I going to do about a half a million children that are in care? And, and the, the quick answer is, you're not going to do anything for half a million children in care. Like, you couldn't possibly. I couldn't possibly. And I, I want to share a quick story. It's about a farmer from a town called Bruno, Nebraska. Have you ever heard of Bruno, Nebraska? Probably not. My kids raise their hand at this point sometimes because they've heard me preach this message before. But Bruno, Nebraska is actually a tiny little town of 98 people in Nebraska. And there was a farmer there named Herman Ostry who was faced with an incredible challenge. So because of some nearby road construction, his barn was all of a sudden in the middle of a floodplain. So water was pouring down hills and pouring down the ramps to this freeway. And his, his barn is going to be destroyed if he doesn't do something. So now he didn't have a lot of time. He didn't have a lot of money. So he had to come up with a creative plan. And his creative plan was to move that barn by manpower. And if you think about that, it's a 20,000-pound barn. That's a, a pretty significant undertaking. Um, but he built a steel grid to support the barn, and he did enough math to determine that he needed 300 people to move this barn, 300 people like walking in lockstep, moving the barn to where it needed to be. But then he was faced with the problem of Bruno, Nebraska, only having 98 people, and that included the elderly, that included children, that included people that wouldn't be able to help him. So really, his support base of people that lived in his own town that could help was maybe half of that or, or a little more. And he didn't have the 300 people that he needed to do this. So Herman starts networking. He starts engaging and connecting and building relationships with surrounding communities and doing everything he can to get the word out. He's putting it on the local news and, and doing those kind of things. And eventually, Herman was able to secure a team of 344 people who agreed to do this work. And so together, those 344 people each grabbed their place in the steel grid. They, they spaced out. They worried about their specific corner of the barn. And together, they walked the 20,000-pound barn 115 feet, mostly uphill, because remember, you want to get away from the water, to its new location. And this was witnessed by 4,000 people, and, and the story was covered, again, by many news outlets, and there's even a children's story. So if you Google Bruno, Nebraska, and children's book, there's a children's book about this story of moving this barn. And, and you might be wondering, why am I telling you about a barn? Why am I telling you about a farmer in a tiny town of Nebraska? And, and the reason is because, like I said, you can't individually impact a half a million children in foster care. I can't do that. You can't do that. None of us can do that. It's too big of a problem. But just like that, Herman couldn't pick up a 20,000-pound barn. He couldn't do that on his own. He, wasn't, he wouldn't be able to do that. That's impossible. But what happened is when people work together, and if you think back to our text, you know, those were, those were messages about caring for the disadvantaged and the poor and the fatherless. Those were aimed at all believers. It was aimed at all of us. It wasn't aimed at one specific individual. It wasn't aimed at pastors. It wasn't aimed at, you know, nonprofits or, or anything like that. It was aimed at all of us, the responsibility to care 
for the disadvantaged, and specifically the fatherless, because that's what I'm talking about, falls to all Christ followers. It falls to all Christ followers. And, and like Herman, if we do this work together, if we each take our piece of the, the barn, if we each grab our, our steel support, and we do just our piece, every church, every Christ follower, every person who's sitting in this room has a purpose to serve vulnerable kids and families. Every person who's sitting in a Bible-believing, Christ-centered church across our country has a purpose in serving vulnerable kids and families. If we all do our thing, then guess what? Things are going to be much better. They're going to be much better, right, if we all just do our something, like Pastor Scott said. And the local church is truly the solution to the child welfare crisis. I want you to think about that. The local church is the solution to the child welfare crisis. And you are a part of that solution. And, and this enormous issue that's overwhelming, it was overwhelming for me, I'm guessing it was overwhelming for you, is meant to be broken into small pieces. The Shores Church is supposed to make an impact here in your community. They're supposed to serve here and to help make a difference here on the children and families here. And the church that's, you know, the church that I was on staff at in Washington Township is meant to make an impact there in Washington Township. But each of us has a place. And just like Herman, if we each carry our piece, then, then it's a manageable load. Um, now, that, that whole illustration with Herman and just the idea of us all doing our own part but doing it together in, in uh, unity and harmony sounds a lot like Paul's illustration in 1 Corinthians, right? Like the body of Christ, like the hand does what the hand does, the foot does what the foot does, and each of us has a part to play much like that. So I, I want to talk about the local church and why it's the solution. So first of all, the local church is uniquely qualified to do this work. There's no one that's more an expert in caring for the hurt and broken in their communities. There's no one with deeper relationships in those communities. And there's no one that's better at pointing people who are hurt and broken to the true source of hope that they so badly need, right? There's no one better than the local church. And that starts with each of us. So some of you that are here might be called to be foster parents. You might be. Every, every time I have a conversation with someone from the Department of Health and Human Services, a private agency, or just anyone involved with the system, the first thing when I'm asking them what they need, the first thing is more foster families. They need more families. So if you're here and you feel called to do that, that's your thing. That's your part. That's your piece. And I would love to talk to you about that. Pastor Scott has firsthand experience. He would, he would be able to talk to you about that as well. Um, but, you know, really, in, in my mind, us being foster parents, Kara and I being foster parents, we're just ordinary people. Like, really, like, we're just ordinary people who are doing this because we feel called to do it. But it is a calling, you know, like, really, like, my call to be a missionary, my call to be a pastor, my call to care for my, my family are, are all callings. And I feel like being a foster parent is a calling as well. And, and the biggest reason is because you're going to experience tough times. It's going to be difficult. I've experienced tons of difficult things because of my role as a foster parent. I know Pastor Scott has experienced difficult things because he was a foster parent. And when you're walking through those difficult things, it's important to recognize that God called you to that, right? Like as believers, that's the thing that sets us apart from everyone else. We recognize that God created us so specifically and so beautifully that we have a purpose and, and foster care could be a part of your purpose. 
And, and really, at the end of the day, being a foster parent is one of the most, in, in my biased opinion, being a foster parent is one of the most Christ-like things that you can do. And the reason is because you give your whole self, your whole life, everything, 24-7, 365, to caring for these children that God so clearly loves, and you do it full well knowing that you're going to get hurt right? And, and if you think about Christ and, and him going to the cross for us and for our sins, he knew that he was going to get hurt. He knew it, but it was worth it anyway. He knew that it was worth it anyway. And I can attest that being a foster parent, even though you're going to experience difficulty, is worth it. Matthew 16, 24 tells us that, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up my cross and follow me. And Really, being a foster parent is a place where I get to do that. You know, it's a place where I get to be like Christ and really take up my cross and, and serve that way. And now, maybe some of you here are not called to be a foster parent. You're, you're probably sweating bullets right now because that's not something that you think you could ever do. Um, I just want to encourage you. There's a lot more that can be done. Pastor Scott mentioned that your church wants to be a, a church that is a beacon to foster parents. He, he wants you to be a church, and you're already doing this, but even at a greater level, he wants you to serve them and to help them know that they're seen and they're heard and they're loved. And um, I, I can tell you there's so many more ways that you could serve. If you can't be a foster parent, you could support someone or who, who does foster. You could support somebody who, even a biological family that's maybe you know, teetering on the involvement of the, the foster care system, um, and again, you'd be shocked at how easy those things are to find. So you could cook a meal for a foster parent. You could help with errands. You could get approved to be a child care provider for them so they can have a night out. And that's as simple as filling out a background check form. Um, you could find some other way to provide a tangible thing that they could use. And, and really, you could even just purchase an experience gift, like get them a membership to the zoo or get them a membership to a children's museum. We had people that came alongside us in that way when we were first foster parents. And can I tell you, it was a really big blessing. You're always looking for things that you can do as a family to create memories and have fun. And as your family gets bigger, um, those things cost more, right? So think about ways that you could bless families in that way too. And I said that child welfare is always saying that they need more foster families. Supporting foster families is one of the best ways that we can do that. And that, that might not make sense, but let me explain. So half of all individuals who become foster parents quit within the first year. Half of them quit. And then within the next year, another half of those that remained quit. So you're talking 75% of foster parents that have stopped doing it within a two-year time stretch. And the reason for that, in most cases, they, they almost always say that they didn't feel supported. They didn't feel like they had the things they need and like people heard them and, and were, were there for them in that way. And, and if you think about it, you've probably heard that the child welfare system is broken, that the foster care system is broken. And there is a lot of brokenness to it. I'm, I'm just going to be straight with you. That's real. But if you think about 75% of foster parents quitting within a couple of years, like think about the brokenness that that alone drives. Like really, that means that those caseworkers who are already overseeing more cases than they should, they're already experiencing all the secondhand trauma and they're doing everything that they can for these families, they're also now having to work with new foster parents who don't know what they're supposed to do and a lot of those different kind of things because they had to recruit new parents to replace the ones that they already had, right? So keeping the foster parents that we have is just as valuable as, as gaining new foster parents. So as someone who's supporting, what you're doing is, is really could be just as valuable of a thing. And 
So if you can't support a foster family or you can't support someone who is adopted or a biological family, give your time. Give your time with the, the endeavors that this church takes on. Give your time spreading awareness, advocating for children and families. And, and really, like I would say, place one. Jump in. If your church is doing something that serves foster families, and I know you've had some events and done some things, jump in. Be a, an excited, willing volunteer when those things come along. And, and there are also a lot of opportunities right here in our community. There's the Macomb Foster Closet, which does incredible work. You've got friends of foster kids who are doing all sorts of amazing things. You could, in addition to the events you're doing here, you could also regularly volunteer for one of those organizations. Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services always needs volunteers to supervise visits and help with transportation and do those kind of tasks. And, and you could get involved with any of those kind of things. And I want to say, you know, some of you that are sitting here might say, you know, I'm just too old. I'm just too old. I want to encourage you, first of all, if you still have breath, God still has a purpose for you, right? Let's, let's get that clear and let's make sure everybody understands that. But second of all, man, how many kids that have been torn away from their families would want to have a grandparent figure in their lives? Someone just to spend time with them and love them and, and let's be honest, spoil them, right? Like that's, that's part of the bag. But um, those kids, they need those kind of connections. They need those kind of uh, individuals in their lives to, to help with that and to share with that. And so if you can't do that, if you can't give your time, maybe you don't have it, you're not physically capable, you need to give financially. That's, that's another option is to give financially. And that starts with giving to your Kingdom Builders Fund here at your church. I know that there are all sorts of incredible things that are happening and that are coming down the line. Your church is making an impact, and, and you need to partner with that financially. So I want to encourage you to do that. All of those organizations that I just said, though, they all have financial needs, too. So you, you could also get involved with that. And, and really, even beyond that, you could donate practical goods. So Pastor Scott will tell you more about this, I'm sure, in the coming weeks, but your church is going to be a part of using a, a revolutionary tool called Care Portal that helps to serve vulnerable kids and families. It's a connecting technology that helps child-serving professionals to get needs out to churches, and then churches are able to meet needs for families that exist right in their communities. So if a family that's within you know, a short distance of your church has a need, you could step up and help meet that need. And that's something that's coming down the line, but think about you know, the, the value of meeting a practical need for those families when, when they know that you're, you're just doing that because you care. You're not expecting anything in return. You're just showing them the love of Christ. Think about the eternal implications that that could have with those families that you're serving. That's something that you can do. And then lastly, you know, Kara and I are missionaries. The work that we do depends entirely on monthly support from people that just recognize what we're doing and believe in the work that we're doing and partner with us in that way. So we would love to do that. Every, every dollar that's given to us as missionaries goes toward engaging, equipping, and empowering churches in other communities to do the same kind of work that you're doing here. So we want to be able to replicate the same kind of things that the Shores is doing in other places and even deepen it and expand it. And now this last one is not uh, a last resort. This is something that whether you do any of those other things, you should be doing this, and that's pray. We need to pray, right? Like there are almost a half a million children in foster care, and we could do all of these incredible things, but we need to pray. Like that's the most powerful and impactful tool that we have is just lifting them up and, and, and interceding on their behalf to the Father and just praying for them and, and being with them. And, and like I said, that's not a last resort. Uh, so in, in just a minute, Pastor Scott's going to come up and close service. But you're aware now. 
Like, you're aware of this problem that exists. You're aware of God's heart for these children and families. And, and you're aware of when we don't intercede, when we don't intervene, what happens to these kids? You know, all of the negative outcomes, those are things that we can help improve those outcomes if we as the body of Christ step up and get involved. And now being aware of something like that brings a level of accountability, right? Like now that you know, you can't unknow that. And so I, I, this maybe will ruffle feathers, I don't know, but I literally pray after I share at a church that you wouldn't forget that. I pray that you would remember, maybe you don't remember every statistic, maybe you don't remember every verse or every idea, but you would remember the concept that these children and families need the body of Christ. They need someone like you to step up and make an impact in their lives. And now, I, I want to share this just as I close. The, the call to care for the least of these extends well beyond children and families that are impacted by the child welfare system. And, and I want to make sure that you're obviously involved and engaged with serving them as well, and, and especially the widow. You know, if, if I mentioned 44 times the orphan and the widow are mentioned together. Make sure you're serving widows. If you know someone that's lost their husband, make sure you're in their lives and serving them. And I, I, I think that those two things are married so closely together in my heart that even though that wasn't the primary focus of what I was sharing today, I just want to make sure you hear that. But it's so important that we care for the children, you know, the, the true least of these. These children are so young and, and so vulnerable. And Nelson Mandela said that there's no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way which it treats its children. And if we're not doing something to care for these precious, vulnerable children, then we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. So let's, if you're doing that, make sure you continue to. If you're doing it, deepen what you're doing continue to strive forward. And if you're not doing it, let's get involved. Now you know, let's do that. And I'm going to go ahead and pray and, uh, and just uh, really ask that God would just show each of us what our place is in, in the child welfare system and in serving these families. So let's do that. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word today and Lord, to, to share about the heart that you have for these precious children. Father God, it's it, it's overwhelming and it's heartbreaking to know that a half a million children are experiencing these, these outcomes that we talked about, the child, children in the child welfare system experience. Lord, I ask that you would just move in a mighty way on their behalf, Lord. I ask that you would help them to know that they're seen, heard, and loved, Lord, that, that you care for them so deeply, and Lord, that even when they feel fatherless, they would know that they have a heavenly father who loves them so deeply. And Father God, I also ask that you would stir the body of Christ, that, that churches across our country and in our state and in our county would move to act on behalf of these children and families. Lord, use each and every one of us in some way, because Father God, we know that this work is something you've called each and every one of us to, and that you have a purpose for us to make an impact in this way. Lord, help, help the Shores Church to just continue to serve and, and move and do things on behalf of these children. And then Lord, come alongside all all of these churches that are just, just experiencing, you know, this, this incredible burden, Lord, and, and just bless them. Give them great wisdom. Give them great discernment and, and divine ideas about new and incredible fresh ways that they can do that. And Lord, where, where our ability stops, where, where our ability to do this stops, Lord, we ask that you would do the things that only you can do. Lord, that you would move on behalf of these children, that you would draw their hearts to you, and that they would experience your, the love of your son Jesus, and that they'd be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen.
as we go to close out, let me just challenge you with something because this is just a message as a part of this victory, defeating the Antichrist spirit. Let me encourage something. When you look at those statistics of 13,000 kids in Michigan, that means if every church in Michigan were to have one family or two families taking a foster uh, child, the foster care situation in Michigan is taken care of. But it's really easy to say, well, somebody else will do that. And I'm proud of just knowing that there's multiple families in here that even once Annie and I started that process for ourselves, realized that, well, this family has already done it and adopted a kid out of it. Uh, this family has done it and has adopted a kid. But, wow, if the church were to say, hey, we're pro-life, let's be pro-life from birth to death. Let's be fully in. Let's be fully engaged in what, in what God's doing. I want to commend you because through your giving, you, some of you might think, well, he didn't take offering this morning. I was intentionally waiting till the end because I want to be able to put this on. Through your giving the Kingdom Builders, we look for opportunities to bless above and beyond helping ministries, things like the Macomb Foster Closet. Because you give to our church, we're supporting them. That basically, we're, for where they have been, we've been covering one month of rent for them every single year for, I think, three or four years now. That as they look to move, they're looking to grow and expand. I can tell you as someone who has now went and I've donated and I've received, that that organization is a blessing, and we need to support uh, organizations like that. Through giving to our church, just regular tithe and offering. If I'm going to say, hey, as a church, I want you to tithe off your income because this is what God says to do. We tithe off of the tithe, and we give 10% away to missionaries and organizations that are advancing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world. Simply by giving to our church, you're helping people like Adam and Kara. Adam doesn't know this. Kara doesn't know this. But uh, we're picking you up in August. So you are officially one of our missionaries now. So when you give to our church, we're able to help ministries like this. That when you think to yourself, like, well, what can I do? Anything. Simply anything. If we want to say that we want to be able to defeat uh, what Satan is attempting to do, then literally anything we do advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we start moving it down the, the, the ball down the field together, it's the idea of like a, a snowball when it's rolling down a hill. It doesn't seem like it has much impact. But once it starts getting some momentum, look out what, what can happen. So church, I want to be a church that makes a difference because it matters. Let's stop looking and saying, well, what's wrong with the world? The world's falling apart. Let's get into the mess and start helping kids that desperately need help so that those statistics don't become true of them, but that they come out of this, the system and that they're better because they knew someone who knew Jesus.